I need your help to find a new program. And I want to talk about the hopes I have for it in the hope that you will help me. And remember, the podcast address is pzspodcast at gmail.com. And pzspodcast is all one word and without an apostrophe, pzs. Now, this is a brief uh, kind of uh, hopefully ironic meditation on the change in language and the way that language, like reality in general, is an ever-changing mood, to quote, style council. And language reflects reality, and reality is never stable. It always connotes suffering, pain, loss, and mourning. And in a very odd and mystical sense, reality is somewhat unreal, as you see the more you get on in life, so many things that you thought were real about yourself, you, you don't diss them. You simply understand that so many things that you thought were, in a sense, unreal. And that's a big leap. But let's now talk about reality and language in particular as it changes. Now, I'll uh, get to my program in just a minute, but I set the stage to this little vignette of everyday life, and you've probably had exactly the same experience. I go about once a week to the bank in our suburban setting here to deposit a check. And it always goes the same way. But what's interesting is it goes the same way, but it also changes in the language that is used. Now, currently in February 2012, I come to the line uh, for drive through and I finally get to my place and a little window opens and I pull out the tube and I put in the check and the deposit slip and off it goes. And then a minute later, the computer lights up and a woman looks at me. It's always a woman in this case. It just is. And she looks at me, although the person changes very frequently, but um, the voice comes. The actual person changes, but it's always a woman and it's always someone who's trying to help. And this is what she says. Hello. And then she says, I'll get this out to you right away. Then the computer stops and they play a song or there's an ad as the computer goes on and I sit. And then about five minutes later and sometimes longer, depending on how busy they are in the bank, the computer lights up again and the same person looks at me and this is what she says. And it never deviates. That is since June the 12th, 2011. It always goes like this. Is there anything else I can help you with today? And I always reassure her by saying, no, thank you. And then she says, okay, have a good one. Now let's talk about that for just a minute. First she says, hello. Now it used to be that people would say often, hello, or if you were in England, hello. Uh, but generally speaking, hello, or hello. Uh, sometimes you go up on the second syllable, sometimes you go down on the second syllable, or if you have a lot of confidence, the two syllables are on the same note. But now, and it smacks somehow of insecurity. I don't explain it. I can't understand it. But my gut feeling tells me, my early warning system tells me this has to do with, with some kind of insecurity. The person says, hello. I see this everywhere. And then notice, it's always the same. It's not I'll get it out in a jiffy or coming right up or I'll, do, I'll work on this as quickly as possible. It's always the same thing. Um, I'll get this out to you right away. It never deviates, no matter the person, uh, no matter the 
look on the person's face or the personality. And then what's most interesting is the way she always says goodbye. She concludes the conversation before sending the tube down. And then I get it when the window's gone up and go on my merry way with my receipt. This is what um, the person says. Is there anything else I can do for you today? Now, I've noticed this has become universal. It's just next door. There's a public supermarket. And always the same thing. Did you find everything okay today? That's the first thing they say. And at the end, is there anything else I can help you with today? It's extraordinary. It's basically their way of saying goodbye. But obviously, there's been some kind of, um, actually, it's been extra staff education hour in which every employee has been told to say, for some reason that has not been vouchsafed to me, is there anything else I can do for you today? Well, obviously that's a misnomer because uh, I've already given the, the strict limits on how many transactions I can have. I can only have three, and usually I put in the two different things at the most, and uh, I've been told how much I can do. So why would she ask me that question when I can only do three in any event? So it's obviously a rhetorical question. It's not a meaningful question. Is there anything else I can do for you today? And then always have a good one. Now, that's the really interesting one because, again, probably around June 11th, 2011, everybody went from saying have a great day or have a good day or have an awesome day or even in some concerns have a wonderful day. It all overnight changed, at least in the region of the country where I live, to have a good one. I was recently far away from here in another region of the country, and I noticed that the alien implant had worked there too. In other words, everybody had somehow overnight changed to have a good one. Now, it's not I'm not trying to say some big deal about what that means or what attitudes, it in, what values lie behind it. All I'm directing attention to is the fact that it changed, and it changed unanimously. It's a little bit like those prisons in third world countries. There was a hellacious photograph in the New York Times magazine a couple of years ago of a prison. I think it was in Nigeria. And all these men, a men's prison that is vastly overcrowded, it's a horrific place, a horrible place. And there are so many men sleeping on the concrete floor of this block that at nighttime they have to keep them all in one place. It's a very vicious place, obviously, that they cannot move around. There's only room enough for you to sleep on your side. So if you want to turn around or get on your tummy or anything, you can't do it because it's you're packed in like Frankfurt is being grilled. Uh, truly, uh, kebab there. But every two hours, uh, the warder or whoever he is, the guard sort of stamps his foot or, uh, you know, boom, boom, with a stick. And everybody turns around at exactly the same time. And that's how they do it. Every two hours at night, everybody hears this sound and reflexively all 180 of these poor fellows turn around, turn the other direction. And then there they are for the next two hours because there's no room. Well, it's, it's like that. Have a good one because it all changed. I was recording this and it all changed on June the 11th, two thousand. And 11, have a good one. Well, that's the point. The point is not why it changed or what it changed from or that which it changed to. The fact that it changed and it changed completely and uniformly in all businesses. Now, I think that is extremely interesting. Now, I want to move on in this mini podcast to uh, another thought on language, which is sort of pushing uh, the puck a little further on down the ice. And this is the use of the word program. Now, when I was coming along in churches, we had something that was called actually about midway through my time of formal ministry. You divided churches into family churches, program churches, and corporate churches. And Family churches were like 120 members and everybody was kind of knew each other and was often there were five or six families that had sort of come together to form this church. 
Then there was a middle-sized church, which could go up to five or 600 members, in which um, it wasn't a family church, but it wasn't huge, but it was called a program church because it was a church that actually offer, could offer in addition to the Sunday morning service with a part-time minister or a visiting clergyman or a, perhaps even a full-time person. It would offer programs, and by programs, we usually meant two things. First, a program was a Saturday afternoon program on parenting teenagers that a expert that you would hire or someone in your church or someone on the staff you'd hire who would come in and give a series of talks followed maybe by supper or potluck or something in which an expert supposedly would give some input about raising teenagers or the problems of teenage girls or issues facing adolescent boys or whatever it was. Um, or you'd have a program during Lent. You'd have a series of speakers come in on a topic or a different set of topics, you know, the church in the 21st century, whatever it might be. And uh, that was a program. Or another kind of program you might have would be a program of social concern. In other words, this church has a program by which our senior high youth group every Friday night at 1030 goes out and brings coffee, sandwiches, and donuts to homeless men under the bridges in Lawrence, Massachusetts. Or... We have a program for um, single mothers who have been and are in risk of being abused. And this program is called Dinah's House or Miriamne's Manna, or you give it a kind of a biblical name, and it's a shelter for a certain group of at-risk people. And that is a, an expression of your Christian convictions of, and your Christian altruism as you understand it. And churches do this all over the place from soup to nuts. Uh, they have programs, that's what they're called, to help um, uh, victims in society. It's a wonderful thing about churches. Now, I'm interested in the fact that the program now has a new meaning. Program now refers, and I have to say this carefully, program can now refer to a military or um, paramilitary um, operation uh, by which a particular objective is um, reached by some particular technology. For example, the first time I heard the word program had to do with someone saying, we have adopted a rendition program by which terrorist suspects are arrested by our people, however, wherever, and then they are rendered to a neutral, as it were, another nation where they're interrogated. Usually this means a nation where torture is uh, possible because we cannot do it because we in the community of nations to which we uh, belong uh, will not countenance officially any kind of torture. So we render a suspect to a um, other place where they can, from one place to another country, a third place where they can be interrogated and rendered, perhaps rendered to another plane of existence after we've gotten whatever it is we believe it is vital to know from them, and then et cetera, et cetera. So we have a program of rendition. Now, I'd never heard of that word program, which I associated with Lenten series and potluck suppers and uh, very benign programs to aid the homeless or an at-risk population. And all of a sudden, my gosh, this is a very at-risk population we're going to be talking about here. The next time I heard it was recently uh, in relationship to information gathering drones in Iraq, because it's all over the papers that in the absence of U.S. troops, that we now have a program and it's been very, very assertively resisted by large demonstrations in that country. Actually, it's in Iraq. Uh, Pakistan was the first place, but now in Iraq, because now um, 
um, civilian employees uh, who are regarded as essential are now um, accompanied on trips uh, by drones. These are not predator drones. They are, quote, information-gathering drones to protect and give information if there's any threat to our personnel who are civilians in these situations. So this is a new program. And then the other day I read, what did I read? It was in one of the papers, maybe on the internet, but I think it was one of the papers that we now have a drone program over Yemen, which last week struck with uh, um, irresistible force. And this uh, program of drones over Yemen is a new program. Well, I just thought, my gosh, the word program has really sort of transformed itself. Now, instead of being uh, potluck suppers or uh, you know, an extra offering of some new information, uh, all sorts of companies. You know, we, we are, as a program, this company is offering a, a, uh, a special promotion. You know, uh, Chick-fil-A is offering a promotion to uh, get breakfast on everyone's Chick-fil-A screen. And so this promotion is a program of, of uh, publicity and uh, free certificates for a certain kind of sandwich at Chick-fil-A. I can see it for that, but I think it's absolutely fascinating that the word program might be applied to something of the nature we're speaking of as far as rendition, information gathering, or aircraft is concerned. That strikes me as being very interesting, that it's changed. So my little ironic word to you in this short mini-podcast entitled My New Program is what should it be? I thought originally that my new program was to perhaps open myself up to people who might come to talk about preaching, you know, small classes on preaching and uh, based on my own experience uh, and also the problems of preaching in everyday situations, perhaps a group of young people might come or people might come to Orlando and we could have a meal here. You could stay at the Edgewater Hotel in Winter Garden, that wonderful Stanley Kubrick Hotel, or shall I say Stephen King Hotel, where um, Rod Serling used to stay, no kidding. Unrestored, wonderful, old, uh, terrific classic hotel in the middle of town. And between the hotel and maybe a little auditorium we can find, or a little meeting room, or even my study right here, we can have a program to talk about preaching together, or uh, a program regarding some interesting subject like Roger Corman movies. If you want to come and have an extension course with FaceTime, one-to-one with, uh, Winter Garden's leading expert on um, Edgar Allan Poe movies, not. But nevertheless, if you wanted to, that could be a program. But now, you know, I feel that maybe my program that I'm offering is not really robust enough. Notice I use the word robust. Robust used to mean, I don't know what I, when I think of robust, I think of sort of strong men or Charles Atlas or, you know, the opposite of the thinny, thin, thin guy who was always being thrown sand down at the beach in ads and comic books in 1942. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way the word robust is used now by the State Department. And I'm not sure the programs I'm offering regarding Roger Corman movies or preaching the Word of God are robust enough. I'm very much thinking that I need your help to devise technologically some sort of program which will allow me to... I don't know, render people <laughs> to somewhere uh, against their wills, uh, but where I have them as a captive audience, and perhaps we can uh, use some kind of uh, electrical apparatus to pound uh, new information into the invisible vader- invaders who will now do something in this world uh, to um, uh, follow out my own particular ideas about what would make this world a better and a safer place. So think with me about what sort of a program would really... Uh, um, do the trick. I'm uh, 
very open to it and I need your help. And because program has shifted, everything has shifted in my mind. And I do want you to know, uh, really think carefully about this question I'm about to ask you, but um, is there anything else I can do for you today?